Do grab a seat. The reading this morning is Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, and can be found on page 13 in the Red Bibles. We have Bibles in other languages and versions available at the back, and page numbers for those are on the screen. The Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And then continuing from chapter 26, verses 1 to 6, which is on page 27 in the Red Bibles. Now there was a famine in the land, besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines, in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me, and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. And then, continuing from chapter 28, verses 1 to 5, which is on page 30 in the Red Bibles. So Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. Then he commanded him, Do not marry a Canaanite woman. Go at once to Padan Aram, to the house of your mother's father, Bethuel. Take a wife for yourself there, from among the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham, so that you may take possession of the land where you now reside as a foreigner, the land God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob on his way, and he went to Padan Aram, to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the brother of Rebekah, who was the mother of Jacob and Esau. And then, continuing from chapter 48, verses 1 to 4, which is on page 54. Some time later, Joseph was told... Your father is ill. So he took his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim, along with him. When Jacob was told, Your son Joseph has come to you, Israel rallied his strength and sat up on the bed. Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan, and there he blessed me and said to me, I am going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples. And I will give this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. 
Thanks uh, very much for reading those, Rosie, and um, thanks for uh, following uh, along through. They were um, dotted through the book of Genesis, as you'll have worked out, uh, punctuation marks, if you like, along the way. And um, what, you're, what you're, we're going to do for the next two weeks, you'll get a taster um, of uh, Genesis, if you like. And this morning in particular, um, something of an overview and uh, an introduction to um, the book as a whole, and uh, next week, um, a particular moment in the life of Jacob um, and at the start of his life, um, and a series which um, uh, will continue at 9.45, um, uh, uh, which is looking at Genesis 25 um, to 35 and the story and the life of Jacob. Um, but this morning, what I want to do is give us a broad canvas view, big, uh, large-scale view of Genesis uh, and how um, it works and what is going on in the sort of unfolding story of the families that are involved there, um, and what is going on in what I, I, I've given this title to those particular chapters, God's promises unfold in the mess. God's promises unfold in the mess, in the working out of the relationships and the family line that you see in Genesis, we see God's promises unfold in and through them. Now, it may be um, that you've come across uh, uh, somebody called Hans um, Rosling, um, if I've got his name right, um, who was a, a doctor and a professor of international health, um, uh, who uh, lately, about I think about a year or so ago, died, um, and the culmination of his work, his life's work, traveling the world, um, collecting and gathering data, is a book called Factfulness. It's a very interesting read. It's full of um, facts, as you might imagine. Um, but as a professor of health who has traveled the world looking at the, the situation around the world, I guess his message and his mission that he has had, and the reason he put this book together in uh, the last stages of his life, um, is to look at the world which so often looks and seems and is complex and messy uh, and often can seem like it is complex and messy and out of control. And his message and his mission, I guess, if you like, is to say what we need to do is that, that may well be true. We also need to see it clearly. We need to see it clearly. We have uh, all sorts of things in our minds about how the world is and what it's work, how it works, the mess that it seems to be in, but we need to see it clearly. And so a lot of the book, for those of you who enjoy this kind of thing, is a lot of gathering of data to look at the world as it really is. Now, he has a number of questions that he starts the book with, which um, uh, kind of get him into the kind of areas of health, poverty, income across the globe as he has moved around the world and collected data. Um, the easiest way to do this is to, is to give you an example, because this will at least um, highlight what I mean uh, and, and what he is trying to do. Um, so he has one of, his, one of his questions is this, just by way of example. So the question is, there are 2 billion children in the world today aged 0 to 15 years old. Um, how many will there be in the year 2100, according to the United Nations? So this is a question about your sense of population and how the world works and how it is. And I suspect you have an instinctive answer, an instinctive reaction. Uh, how many will there be in the year 2100? Why don't you briefly turn to somebody nearby? If you are prepared to admit your instinctive answer, and is it the same as theirs? Uh, is it different? Have, uh, you have 20 seconds to, to compare notes.
So if you've been able to compare your answers, so there are 2 billion children in the world today, aged 0 to 15. If you are involved in our youth and children's ministries, it may seem like you've had a billion of them out there um, this morning. Um, uh, but how many will there be in the year 2100? According to the United Nations, the answer is C, 2 billion. Now, some of you will be going, yes, I knew that, and that was fine. Um, and some of you will be going, how can that possibly be? The world is surely, the world's population is out of control, isn't it? Now, he goes on, being the kind of uh, book that it is, lots of data and facts that follow. I guess the, to help you, so you don't spend the whole of the rest of the talk thinking about this, um, the answer lies in this chart, as much as anything, which he explains. It is the rate of uh, the number of children born on average to women across the globe over time since 1800. So you'll see on the left that around about 1800 there were nearly six women on a, uh, six babies born on average to women across the world. That has been falling since then and has been falling all the way down and is now relatively settled around about two per woman across the world on average. That accounts for the rate of children. It accounts for the population of children across. Now, his aim, you see, his message and his mission is to say, the world may seem dramatic, it may seem messy, it may seem complicated, and it is, he says, but we need to see it clearly. Interesting, isn't it? If you want to follow it up, there's all sorts of things that come out of it, and he has data for the, uh, the population as a whole and all those sorts of things. Anyway, I'll give you that thought for a moment. Um, but it illustrates something that Genesis does very well. Um, we, uh, I'm, I'm going to put up here a family tree, which we will come back to in a second. Genesis illustrates this. Uh, it illustrates something about Genesis very well. That is, Genesis seems to hold in tension both of those things. The messy, complicated way of human life and how it progresses, and yet the desire to see it clearly, and in this case to see it from God's perspective, to see how things are really working, to see what he is doing and what he is up to. And it's holding those two things in tension. Now, this, um, uh, this family tree here will be a useful guide to us. I said that what we're going to do this morning is, by way of introduction, um, taking across the, the whole of Genesis, um, and we'll look at some of these names. The four readings that we had, you might be asking, why, why do we have those four? They all come at each layer of this family tree. The the book of Genesis is punctuated by God's promises made or reiterated at every layer of this family tree. So I wonder if you would take your Bibles um, and we'll just glance through them again and have a quick look. When Abraham is first called, so it's back in chapter 12, um, if you want to turn there. Um, and some of this you may know, and if, if you don't, then um, we'll look at it together. Um, the call, when Abraham is first called, uh, he is called um, in verse 1, uh, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Um, I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your, your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. Three things in particular that are um, promised to Abraham, a land, a place uh, to be, um, uh, there in verse 1. 
Um, a people that they will become. I will make you into a great nation. This will be a part of an offspring, a line, a family line, a people, a land of people, and a blessing that they are going to be to the world, um, and he will be to the world. Um, You will be a blessing. Those three things are reiterated at every level um, of Genesis. So if you glance on chapter 26, which is reasonably quickly, just um, turn a few pages on, 26. When... Um, uh, we come to Isaac and the next layer, the next generation. Uh, in verse uh, three, the Lord appears. Uh, verse two, the Lord appears to Isaac. Uh, he tells him, verse three, to stay in this land a while. Um, For to you and your descendants, I will give these lands, and I will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky. Uh, and we'll give them these lands, and, and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. The same three things, a land, a people, and a blessing, uh, told to Isaac, reiterated to him. If you jump on to chapter 28 and the start, something reiterated then to the, the next generation, Jacob. Um, so Isaac called for Jacob and blessed him. So when a blessing is passed on to Jacob, verse 3, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and increase your numbers until you become a community of peoples. May he give you um, and your descendants the blessing given to Abraham so that you may take possession of the land. See, the blessing, the people, and the land follow again, reiterated the third generation. And finally, at the end of Genesis, when the... Um, the, the sons uh, of the fourth generation and indeed the grandsons are gathered together to receive a blessing. Those same la- the same language and words are used. So chapter 48, if we move on to there, um, Jacob reiterates this as he blesses um, those children. Uh, he says, God Almighty appeared to me, there he blessed me and said to me, I'm going to make you fruitful and increase your numbers. I will make you a community of peoples and I will give you this land as an everlasting possession to your descendants after you. A blessing, a people, and a land being passed on at every point of this family tree. If you've never seen this family tree before, here are the four generations. And yet, how slow and small might progress seem to this grand set of promises. Here is... Uh, here are four generations. Uh, the, name, the, num- uh, the ages of, of certain individuals are given at various points in the text. Um, there is roughly 300 years spanning these four generations. Roughly 400 years uh, as this um, promise makes its way down. There are significant and often painful delays The promises given involve a family line, uh, a line of offspring. Uh, We're told that uh, Abraham is uh, 75 when he is first called in Genesis 12 there. Um, And when he is told of that offspring, it is 25 years before Sarah is able to conceive and have Isaac. What is, uh, that's possibly um, uh, known to you, what is often not so well known and is more subtly presented in the narrative is that from when Isaac and Rebecca marry, it is 20 years before she is able to have the twins, Jacob and Esau. 20 years uh, 
uh, in a Middle or Near Eastern culture, built around family life, 20 years of uncertainty, of challenge, difficulty, and pain. So here are these grand promises, and yet, in some sense, how small is progress? And the, th- the, the things that I want to kind of draw out of this for us this morning cover how God is working and how God knows what he is doing uh, amidst these um, human circumstances. The first of these is that God knows what he is doing. And he knows what he is doing over time and delay. Over the progress of these generations, he holds his promise consistently and faithfully. Uh, if, uh, if data isn't your kind of thing in terms of uh, my earlier illustration, um, let me give you a different image, uh, the image of a metronome. Uh, a metronome that you might, might use, say, uh, in, uh, in music, if you're trying to keep a steady rhythm um, uh, and you want to kind of just a, a regular movement. The promises that God gives that we read and that are kind of punctuated through Genesis act like a kind of metronome, keeping this steady rhythm. And so we're holding those two things in tension. God knows what he is doing. There is a steady rhythm to the working out of his purposes. And yet how, in the experience of these individuals, of these uh, uh, figures here, yet how delayed and how slow it might have seemed. The world is complex and messy, but God knows what he is doing. He sees it uh, clearly. You might want to keep that idea of a metronome uh, in your mind, or we'll come back to it a little bit later. If the first of those um, uh, things, God knows what he is doing over time uh, and delay. He knows what he is doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. Uh, this, um, this family tree is, um, uh, is a, I guess it's a, a litany of, uh, of different experiences uh, of, of the characters who are here. So often the promises that God makes to his people are put in jeopardy by the actions that individuals take here. There is a mix of fear and faith. So often the promises are given and they are clung on to in faith by individuals and they are put at risk by their fear that somehow they won't be met and the actions they take in light of it. Uh, you'll see down the right-hand side, um, in grey, there is a, another side um, to this, uh, this family line. Um, Abraham and Sarah, when given the, uh, the potential, uh, the, given the promise uh, of, a, of a family line of a son, when that son doesn't appear, they take things into their own hands. Sarah suggests that Abraham sleep with a woman called Hagar, which he does, and Ishmael is born. And there is a shadow side to this family line. There is a shadow side to this story in Genesis. There is Hagar's story and Ishmael's story, which stand as a kind of foil to the promises and the line that God has. And God knows what he is doing amid these human mistakes and deceptions. Amid the the kind of mistakes that they make, uh, Isaac repeats mistakes of his father. There's this intergenerational process where it seems as though people don't learn um, quite what their forebears learned. We see the existence of multiple 
deceptions, lies often. Um, so the, uh, the third generation, which brings us down to Jacob and Leah and Rachel uh, and Zilpah and Bilhah, uh, Jacob and Esau, uh, the story that uh, unfolds involves multiple deceptions, both to him and by him. Uh, he is deceived by his uncle, uh, and you'll see the, so the four women that are involved in his life uh, uh, when he seeks to marry uh, and finds himself married to a woman he didn't expect to be married to. There is this complex world of, of, of lies and deceit. And God knows what he is doing in and through it. In fact, he seems to work through human mistakes and deceptions. They do not thwart him. They do not surprise him. And so why should it be any less for us? It can help us understand our own circumstances, that we can succumb at times to the same impulses, the same mix of fear and faith that cling on to God's promises and put them in jeopardy. One of the um, privileges of being in pastoral ministry is that there are few, if any, families that I have come across that don't have their difficulties and their complexities, their shadow side, the side of the family tree that isn't spoken of, the difficulties that underlie them. God knows what he is doing through human mistakes and deceptions. I wonder what the the shadow side of your own life would be. I wonder if you look back on it, have you seen how God is able to work uh, in and through that? God knows what he is doing over time and delay. He knows what he's doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. He knows finally what he is doing through messy and fragile situations. When you stand back and you look at the generations that um, occupy Genesis, God seems to work very intentionally through these messy and fragile situations that are given to us. So those um, elements of the promises that are made, uh, a people, uh, a place, uh, a blessing, it is about a chosen line. It's about a, a particular line of inheritance, a particular family line. But in the story that unfolds, the women who are involved in that family line are often used or discarded. They find themselves struggling to conceive. Those who are the chosen ones in that family line are often those uh, who are not the best or the most uh, powerful or the most uh, noble or important. God seems to work with unexpected and complex characters. We will spend time uh, looking, thinking about Jacob next week. He is not the best uh, and the most noble. It's about a family, but the family relationships are complex and messy. The, uh, The relationships between Jacob and the four women in his life and Jacob and his brother are overshadow everything that happens. Jacob's relationship to Esau, his deceit, uh, uh, his deception uh, against Esau, uh, the years that pass as he lives with that like a shadow over him, cover all of his life and cast their, their kind of darkness over him. 
It's about a blessing, uh, but it takes place against a backdrop of what feels like loss and curse, famine, family division, separation. And it's about a place. But Jacob will spend much of his life in exile from that. And it's as if God works. He knows what he is doing. He works through these messy and fragile situations. He seems to work intentionally in ways that we wouldn't expect. And when you stand back and you look at it, it shouldn't surprise us that he works in this way. He who, in the life of his son, the Lord Jesus, brought him into the world in a complex family situation, uh, a situation of possible disgrace. He who wasn't powerful but moved amongst the weak and the downtrodden. And that his means of salvation through the cross come by ways in which are full of indignity, uh, of him being deceived against by his enemies, of being falsely accused and then finally killed. Here is God's salvation plan worked out supremely through the mess and complexity and fragility of the life of the Lord Jesus as he walked on this earth and at the hands of human enemies. And yet, amidst that, the steady rhythm of God's promises that he is bringing about. The steady rhythm of bringing about a people who will be a blessing uh, to the world. God knows what he is doing over time and delay. Uh, He knows what he's doing amid human mistakes and deceptions. He knows what he is doing through messy and fragile situations. This uh, broad canvas view of Genesis, what do we um, take away from it? Uh, What do we do with this? Can I encourage you perhaps this week um, to spend some time reading Genesis 25 to 35? Uh, You could take some time to read it. Process through the story of Jacob, uh, his family line, where he, um, uh, where he is taken. Uh, you see the characters involved, and you'll see all of these things brought out. And perhaps reflect on one of these three things we've talked about this morning. Reflect on how God works, and take that into this particular week. If it is the start of something new this week for you, if it's the start of a a new college term, uh, if it's the start of a new uh, role, a new job, take one of those into this week. Reflect on how God works. It can set our expectations for the way in which he works, and it can give us confidence that he knows what he is doing, however uh, fragile our own weeks appear to be however difficult the family situation that we are going back into this week. Take one of these and reflect on them and reflect on a God who knows what he is doing, who maps out the course of his promises in and through the messy situations that we humans find ourselves in. Let's pray together, shall we? Gracious Father, you know all that we go through and all that we will take into this week. And Lord, I pray that you grant us, as we look at your words through this term, uh, as we look at Genesis over these next couple of weeks, I pray that you'd encourage us to lift our eyes 
to see the way in which you work, uh, the perspective that you have. Help us, amidst our sense of the world, however complex and messy it feels, that we would see it clearly as you see it, and we would have confidence that you know what you are doing. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.